Pardon me. Thank you, Benjamin and Gospel Choir. It was great. What a great reminder that the gospel is not just for Americans. It's not just a Western message, but it's a message for the world. And the Bible says some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will surround the throne of God. I want to welcome those of you who are visiting and the rest of us. Thank you for joining us today. A couple quick things I want to mention. First of all, we're, we're passing out these Celebrate Christmas at Riverstone. The idea is not to um, put these on your refrigerator with a magnet to go, don't forget what time of service are. These are to share with folks. So we made some, um, feel free to take some extras. These are opportunities just to invite uh, friends or family or people that may not have um, connected with the local church. So be sure to make note of that. The other thing is we have a, a good need, but it's pretty pressing. And that is we have so many children, particularly now infants and toddlers, that our pressing need right now is in both services on Sunday morning, we need more people to work with infants and toddlers. Now, here's the good part. You only have to do it once a month. So it's not something we need a weekly commitment for, but we do need some more folks for that. And then also on Wednesday night, we have 200 kids coming. So good problem, and I believe God's going to stir up folks. So again, you don't have to commit to every week, but after the service, if you're willing to, to take a turn... If you'll just go out to the visitor center, there'll be someone out there that will get your contact information. So if you're not kid safe yet, just let us know. Anyway, we had three or four people sign up, but they're not kid safe. So we, we have a pressing need right now as well. So let's continue to pray that God will bring children and then that he'll raise up workers. All right, today we're going to continue our study of the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. We believe the Bible's God's word and so the first thing we're going to do is just remind you that we're talking about the Spirit, that He's God. Last week we learned that He's a person. We also learned that in the Old Testament, He only indwelled certain people for various ministries. By the way, if you need a Bible, we have plenty of extras. Just raise your hand. We'll be glad to give you one. But in the New Covenant, when Jesus came, God promised that He would pour out His Spirit on all of us. So every believer today is indwelled by the Holy Spirit at conversion permanently, okay? And so the issue now is, okay, how does he work in my life? And this morning, we're going to start by discussing the gifts of the Spirit. For some of you, you, you know some things. You need to be clarified. Some of you never heard anything. Everybody needs to be aware of the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, Paul said, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be unaware. King James says, I don't want you to be ignorant. So what do you know about spiritual gifts? So he goes on to say this, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit of God. There are varieties of ministries. It's the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but it's the same God who works all things in all of us. But now notice verse 7. This is interesting. But to each one, that means everybody here is given the Spirit, the manifestation Spirit. You, if you're a Christian, a true believer, you have the Holy Spirit in you. But notice that the Holy Spirit has come inside of you for the common good, so that, so that you can help other people. So let's pray, and then we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit. Heavenly Father, may your Spirit do what we're even talking about today, and that is manifest His power, His, His grace, His purposes. May, may they be accomplished as He points us to Christ, and as Christians grow and are edified and equipped and challenged. May we all Listen to the word through the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. 
All right. So here's what we're going to do today. We want to talk about spiritual gifts. What are they? How do they function? Okay, so if, once I know what they are, how, how do they function in the church? And then what about these gifts like tongues and miraculous gifts? Are, are they still for today? And then finally, how can I discover and develop my gift? So let's start with a, a, a simple premise, and that is, you know, what are we talking about here? Okay, Spiritual gifts are not just natural talents, like the choir who just sang. To be able to sing, that's not a spiritual gift because unbelievers can sing, right? Some people have a talent to sing. Spiritual gifts are gifts given by the Holy Spirit to believers. If you're not a believer, you don't have the Spirit in you, so you don't have a spiritual gift. But these are special gifts that are given to us so that we can do ministry and help others in the body of Christ. It's really important. So God didn't give you your gift so you could draw you know, attention to yourself, but he gave you your gifts so that you can use them. Now notice, the gifts are for the common good. So 1 Peter 4.10 says, look, each one of us has a gift. So God wants you to discover your gift. He says, employ it. Use your gift in serving one another. It's a stewardship. He's like, hey, I trusted this gift to you. I want you to use it as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So you go, what do you mean, what do you mean special abilities like, like computers or mechanics or um, engineering? No. The Bible, the Bible lists 18 to 20 gifts of the Spirit, depends, depending on how you sort of lay them out. But they seem to fall into two broad categories, speaking gifts and serving gifts. Now, I'm going to come back to this list, all right? But I want us to think about a passage. In terms of how they function, all right, what, what are they going to do? If, if some people have speaking gifts, some people have serving gifts, there's a couple of things that I want you to think about. First of all, the purpose of them, they minister to believers. They bless other people to help them grow. So God puts his spirit in you, then he gives you this passion and ability so you can bless and minister to other people. So let's say you have the gift of exhortation. You can come alongside to encourage someone, to challenge them, to comfort them. Someone else might have the gift of mercy. You have an unusual capacity to reach out to people that are hurting. Some of you have the gift of faith. You can come alongside and pray for someone, and God does unusually miraculous things in answer to your prayers of faith that move mountains. But one thing that's really important is to understand that most of the things that gifts represent, we're all supposed to do them anyway. Now, that's important because sometimes people will go, sorry, that's not my gift, so I don't really do that. I'll give you an example. People do this all the time with the gift of evangelism. Well, Pastor Tom, you have the gift of evangelism. I don't have that gift, so I don't share my faith. You know, that, that's for people who have the gift of evangelism. How would you feel if I, if I responded to that? I don't have the gift of giving, which is a gift, so <laughs> I don't give. You'd be like, what are you talking about? We're all supposed to give. Exactly. And we're all supposed to be trying to share the gospel. It doesn't mean you have to be standing up on the bench at Burger King. But the idea is, I can't say to someone, oh, I'm sorry you fell and broke your arm. But you know what? I don't have the gift of mercy, so I'll pray for you, right? We, we would never allow that, okay? So the idea behind gifts is that people that have gifts, they, they serve as examples to us. So 
God has given me the gifts of teaching and evangelism. So when I share stories of people that I'm witnessing to, it's not because I want you to feel guilty. It's not because I want to give a testimony. It's because I simply want to encourage you to stir you up to share the, the gospel. If, if, if someone has the gift of faith and we hear about how they prayed for someone and, and that inspires us, like, yeah, God answers prayer. <clears throat> someone has the gift of giving, then, then they're going to inspire and be an example. So within the body, we're all supposed to be doing most of these things, but if you have a gift in an area, God wants you to discover that and, and, and then move in that direction of, of serving him. So, so think about something like this. As you think about your relationships to other Christians, a nice way to sort of think broadly is to go, okay, do I enjoy speaking or do I enjoy more of a behind-the-scenes thing where I'm serving? Now, there's not like this great divide between the two. There's a lot of overlap, but just think in general. Peter says, use your gift. So look at verse 11. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. So think of these speaking gifts. Teaching, evangelism, exhortation. These are the type of things where, where you're going to communicate, right? Now, some of you would... If you were asked to come up and speak in front of people, you'd rather have molten iron rods poked in your eyes. You can't stand to speak in front of people. That's fine, okay? It's not like God's asking everybody to stand up and speak. But if you do have speaking gifts, what Peter's teaching us here is that make sure that you're communicating Scripture to people, not just your ideas, right? So if you're a counselor, then counsel from the Bible. If you're a teacher, teach the Word. If you encourage people, encourage them with scripture, right? But then others have more gifts that don't necessarily involve public communication, but rather, Peter says, whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies. So that, because think about, why does God give us gifts? So that God may be glorified. God gets all the credit, whatever our gifts are, as we use them for his glory. So, so kind of think to yourself, all right, which do I enjoy more? Do I enjoy speaking or serving? And of course, there's extremes. I'm, you know, please don't come to me and say, hey, listen, I'd love to help pick up chairs, but you know, I, I don't have serving gifts, right? I, I just have speaking gifts, and vice versa, right? There's overlap, but, but let's just walk through these gifts just for a few moments. Now, by the way, these little asterisks, I found this chart online. It's nothing novel. There's tons of charts online. These are just the gifts that are listed in the New Testament. Somewhere around 18 to 20 gifts. It's a little bit of overlap with some of them, but the two clarifications about whether these, some of these gifts are still for today, I'll talk about that in a moment, so don't get distracted by that. But let's talk about serving gifts. Some of you have the gift of giving. We're all supposed to give, and I challenge and encourage you to give generously to the Lord. Give by faith. Give out of gratitude and love for Christ. We don't need your money. We're not trying to get money from you. This is a blessing. <clears throat> but some of you have the gift of giving. You have an unusual generosity and also an unusual capacity. I believe that God often gives this to believers that he entrusts with more wealth, more resources. 1 Timothy 6 says, instruct Christians who are wealthy in the faith to be generous and ready to share. So if you have the gift of giving, you will particularly want to, to share your resources. But even someone who has very meager resources may just have this unusual desire and capacity. Please, as I said, let's not go, oh, well, I don't give because I don't have that gift. 
But let's take the next gift, administration and leadership. Now, those are two separate gifts, but they kind of function in the same realm. There's a reason why Pastor Bob is our lead pastor, right? Because he's gifted at leading. He's gifted at looking ahead and, and, and helping us as a staff, as elders, and as a church to move towards the goals that we feel that God wants us to accomplish from his word. In administration, the idea of being able to manage resources and say, I really enjoy, you know, getting people together, training them, making sure the resources are in place, making sure the planning, the scheduling, the phone calls. There's so many behind the scenes thing. There's a good reason why I'm not the lead pastor here, okay? Pastor Bob is a gifted leader. He helps to oversee our administration. We have gifted staff. And so, but, but that can be used in many realms, not just as a lead pastor, okay? But then there's the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, you will have an unusual desire and capacity to help hurting people. Now, that can manifest itself in various things. You may have a burden for um, orphans in Guatemala or unwed mothers or prison ministry or AIDS patients or homeless people or shelters. You know, you just have a, a, a real desire to connect with people that are, are broken, troubled children, people in distress, grief share, things like that. Some people have the gift of faith. Paul says in chapter 13, if I had all faith to move mountains, and it's a blessing to have people who have an unusual capacity to believe God and pray and, and see the Lord work. That should inspire all of us to pray and believe God, but some of you have a real gift in that, and your prayer life and your claiming of God's promises are a blessing and an example to us. Then there's a gift of helping. Some translations call it serving, and, and you get that. Some of you go, that, that's me. I don't want to speak, and I don't want to be the planner. Just tell me what to do. You need somebody to come early and set up chairs. You need me to go to the store. You need me to just get, hey, I love to help. Right? And that's a, it's an enormous help to the church to have people that are just, hey, I want to do something, but I'd rather not speak or be the big planner. That's fine. And again, don't go, hey, I don't do anything because, you know, I can't help. We all help, of course. So, so don't go, well, I don't have the gift of help, so that's why I'm not going to work in the nursery. We serve. We sacrifice for Christ. But if you have that gift, then you'll unusually enjoy that. How about Hospitality. The word hospitality means to love strangers, but people who have this gift love to open up their home. A number of you have people living with you. You love to entertain. You love to, you know, if we have a guest speaker or a, a person that needs some place to stay, you, you just have an unusual desire and gift and capacity to have people into your home, and that's a blessing, but we all should be hospitable. Now, some of these guys, gifts we're going to come back to, like healing and miracles, but let's, let's look at gifts like teaching, okay? This doesn't mean you have to stand in front of a big crowd. Some people are gifted in one-on-one. -on -one. You're, you're a good teacher, but, but you're better just sitting down and talking through something with, with someone. Or, or you're a good teacher in, as a facilitator in a discussion-type setting. Same thing. We're all supposed to teach the gospel to our children, to our loved ones, but if you have a gift to communicate the scriptures, then God's going to help you to discover that. You're going to usually enjoy to study. You'll learn how to prepare and learn how to communicate God's word to others and have the joy of seeing God working in your life. 
And then there's the gift of exhortation. Now, as an example, I think Pastor John clearly has the gift of teaching. So here's Pastor Bob, gift of leadership. Pastor John Beagle has tremendous gifts in research and reading and studying and teaching. He's a gifted teacher, and we have a number of gifted teachers in the church. Exhortation. The word exhortation means to come alongside. And it's often used in the sense of urging people and, and, and prompting them. Pastor Austin has, has enormous gifts of of, of like a prophetic exhortation. When, when he's done, we're all like, okay, let's go, right? This is a gift of the Spirit to stir people up. Counselors often have this gift. You, you just have an ability to come alongside people and, and, and speak into their lives what they need to hear, encouragement or correction. Then there's the gift of an evangelist. Now, evangelist doesn't necessarily mean you're the next Billy Graham or you have to preach to the multitudes. People that have the gift of evangelism just have an unusual desire to win people to Christ. You know, they're always looking, or they're visitors here, they're always looking for opportunities to talk to others about Christ. Some of you go, yeah, that's, that's how I feel. I love to talk to, Christ, talk to others about Christ. Well, again, it doesn't mean they're the only ones that do it. So if you have the gift of evangelism, you not only should be learning how to share your faith but the Bible says in Ephesians 4, evangelists are then to equip the saints for the work of service. So again, I think God's given me that gift. And so that's one of the reasons I share with you different opportunities and examples of sharing your faith to give you more of a, a window to say, hey, we could all do that. Okay? Now, some of these other gifts are often referred to as sign gifts. And we're going to come back to that. But let me just comment on two other things. One of them is, are these gifts exhaustive? Are these 18 to 20 that are listed in New Testament, are they the only ones? And that's interesting because Christians debate that. There are a number of Bible teachers who go, oh no, that's just a sampling. There's lots of other gifts. My problem with that is the Bible says God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The things which are revealed in this book, these are the things that, that personally I believe God has entrusted to us. So I'm pretty uncomfortable with people go, oh, I think there's a bunch of other gifts that aren't in the Bible because then it's, then it's pure speculation. Anybody can make up anything, right? But yet, it is important to think about how the Spirit works in different ways. So there are a variety of gifts and a variety of ministries and a variety of effects. Now, I had a, a man tell me one time, he goes, there's some people have the gift of healing backs, of healing headaches, and of healing cancer. And I said, well, where'd you get that from? He goes, well, I just know that. This would be an example of going beyond the word. And I said, well, how do you just know that? Paul didn't say that. He goes, well, Paul and I knew that. And right then, I'm like, okay, now we have a problem here. You and Paul know stuff that's not in the Bible. I don't know if he was having conversations with Paul, which makes me uncomfortable anyway. So that's why I would go. I would, I would be hesitant to say, oh, there's a bunch of other gifts, okay? Now, the other thing that's debated is, is it possible to receive another gift later in your experience? Like, let's say I'm a Christian is it possible that God might later on give me another gift because I have at least one at conversion? Well, again, that's possible because Paul told the Corinthians, you know, you're so desirous of tongues, I think you should be desirous of prophesying. So he said, pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. But I want to say this. I wouldn't get worried about that. What I would want you to be more concerned about is discovering the gifts you have. Not like, oh God, give me this one or give me that one. 
Lord, you said to me this morning that I have a gift. Help me to discover it. Help me to develop it. Help me to use it, okay? So, we obviously need to then discuss this question. Have some of these miraculous gifts ceased for today? In other words, we all have probably heard of people speaking in tongues. Some of you speak in tongues or go to a church where they practice tongues or faith healing where people are laid hands on and healed and so forth. So Christians need to think about these things and know what the Bible teaches. So some Christians believe that certain miraculous gifts or sign gifts, these special manifestations like tongues, faith healers have ceased. God's no longer manifesting these sign gifts. And, and those who hold to that, that position is called cessationism from the word ceased, okay? So some Christians are cessationists. They go, I don't think tongues are still for today, right? Now, how do they come to that conclusion? Because if, if someone says, well, I'm a cessationist, and someone says, I'm not, and they go, prove it from the Bible, well, I don't have to prove anything from the Bible. It mentions all these gifts, right? So a person who says some of them aren't for today, the burden of proof lies on them. Well, why would you say that, okay? So let's look at some of the, the reasons that some people are cessationists. Number one, they look in history. They go, when I read the, 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 the history of the church, occasionally they talk about gifts, but that really seems to have died out. It doesn't seem to be a big thing in the history of, of, of the working of the Spirit on planet Earth. Now again, that doesn't prove it, but it is an interesting phenomenon to go, yeah, in the first century there was a real manifestation of gifts, but it doesn't look like that continued in the history of the church. But more importantly, the cessationists use scripture. It's not like they don't have any Bible verses. One of them is Hebrews chapter 2. We don't know who wrote Hebrews, but a lot of people say it's Paul, and this passage seems to me to indicate that it couldn't have been Paul because Paul did miraculous signs. He said that. He goes, I do the signs of an apostle. The author of Hebrews, it looks to me like he wasn't able to do miracles, and he was fine with that, which sort of gives the indication that gifts may have been, sign gifts may have been dying out even in the first century. So look, he says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation after it was spoken through the Lord? So the Lord Jesus comes to earth and he preaches salvation. But then he says, it was confirmed to us. So the author who's writing, he says, I heard the gospel from those who heard. So there's a second group. So you've got Jesus. He preached the gospel directly to some people who heard it. And then those who heard it preached it to people like the author of Hebrews. So he says, it was spoken first by the Lord, and then it was confirmed to us by those who heard, probably the apostles. And he says, God was testifying with them by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So it looks to me like the author of Hebrews is saying, I don't do those signs and wonders. It was that those apostles that, that God confirmed his word through them. So as a result of that, cessationists would say, hey, we don't need these confirming signs anymore because we now have the New Testament. When Jesus came to earth, he was bringing further revelation from God, which was radically changing things that had been going on for a long time. Like Moses taught the sacrificial system. Suddenly, Jesus is going to teach, you don't need that anymore. That's a big thing. So even Jesus said, look, if you don't believe my words, believe on account of my works. His miracles were signs to confirm that he was from God. But, 
But the debate revolves around this. Do we need signs now that we have the completed New Testament? Now, certainly there is a biblical principle that says if people won't believe the Bible, not sure signs are going to be helpful. So there's a story in Luke 16 of a man in hell, and he goes, hey, go warn my brothers. If someone rises from the dead, they'll repent. Verse 31 says, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So cessationists go, we've got the word. If they're not going to believe the word, they don't need some miracle. That's not not going to convince them. So in light of that, cessationists look, look at passages like 1 Corinthians 13, and they go, the Bible teaches that tongues will cease, right? Now, this is where people, I think, all of us need to learn how to think and, and, and read the Bible and compare Scripture and read the context. Because people just thought of us like this. How do you know tongues are for today? Look, it says in the Bible, love never fails. If they're gifts of prophecy, they'll be done away. If they're tongues, they'll cease. See? It says it in the Bible. They'll cease. Why are we even talking about this? Tongues aren't for today. And I go, well, hang on. There's several questions. The first one is, doesn't say when they will cease, right? Well, how will I find that out? Well, this is why we learn to read the context. Let's go on to the next verse. Yeah, verse 8 says tongues will cease. It says if there's knowledge, it'll be done away. But then verse 9 says we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes. Okay, all right, so good. When, when will tongues cease? Duh, it says right here. When the perfect comes. All right, discussion over. Wait, discussion's not over. Got another question. What's the perfect? Right, so when people tell you, ah, tongues aren't for today, Bible says they'll cease when the perfect comes. Well, yeah, but what's the perfect? Now, cessationists believe that the perfect here is either the New Testament or when the church becomes mature, because the word perfect can mean complete or mature. Now, the second one I think is pretty easy to go. I don't know about you, but... When's that? I'm not sure the church has become mature or ever will. There's always immaturity that needs to be radically changed, even in our church. But in addition, I I go, so wait, Paul meant the New Testament? When the perfect comes, which is really the New Testament, would they have thought that? Would they have gone, yeah, you know, he's talking about when we, I don't even think that was in their mind. But more importantly is I want to I make sure that you understand. Let's look at the context, okay? Paul gives some indication of when the perfect comes in this passage. Now, as you're reading, does this sound like the completion of the New Testament? Or does this sound like when Jesus comes back? Tongues will cease when the perfect comes, when Jesus returns. Now, let's look at verse 11. He says, when I was a child, I used to speak as a child, think as a child, reason as a child, When I became a man, I did away with childish things. Ladies, I understand. I don't know when this happens. I really (laughs) don't. I'm 56, but there's supposedly a time when, you know. But but that's not his point. His point is this. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now, does that sound like when I have the New Testament, then it's face to face? Or does that sound like the return of Christ? He says, now I know in part, but then shall I know fully Now that we have the New Testament, do we have all the answers? Do we really know fully everything? So it looks to me like this passage seems to define the perfect as at the return of Christ. 
And it's for reasons like that that I personally am not a cessationist, right? I don't think, and you can disagree with me, but I don't think you can make a strong case. The Bible proves tongues are not for today, okay? So, in light of that, bear in mind that while some Christians are cessationists, others believe that all the gifts are still in operation today. So what do I do with that? Well, many people believe that, yeah, if you look in the history of the church, it died off, but in the 1900s, God awakened it. And so if you read about these movements in the history of the church in the 1900s, they're what they call waves. The first one was in the early 1900s out in California at a revival on Azusa Street. So, so these waves that Christians have talked about have then become the foundations of, of a lot of churches today that use one of these two terms, Pentecostal or charismatic, okay? Why would they call themselves Pentecostals? Because it was at Pentecost that God began to manifest these sign gifts. So a Pentecostal church, you know, we believe in the manifestation of sign gifts. Why do they call them charismatic? Well, the word charisma is the Greek word for gifts. So charismatics are churches that practice and exercise all of the gifts, okay? So we need to just go, all right, so regardless of my view, I need to exercise love and caution on this doctrine. So, as, as, as our church um, doctrinal statement says, we're an e-free church. We do not have a strong position on this that says, you have to be a cessationist or you, you must believe in all the gifts. We allow for the fact that this is a, a minor doctrine and we need to exercise charity to others who might have a different view. So, we need to avoid extremes. So, I have cessationist friends and they're like, God doesn't do that anymore. I go, come on, man you got to look at what's going on in the Middle East. There are Muslims coming to Christ by the thousands, and many, many of them, it's through dreams, dreams and visions that awaken them to Jesus, and then they find a Christian, read the Bible, and get saved, okay? I really don't think that's Satan, okay? So I think Jesus already addressed this because they accused him of that. Hey, you're doing that by the power of the devil. He goes, why would Satan divide himself? I don't think Satan wants people to come to Christ. So some, some extreme cessationists are like, all that stuff today is of the devil. And I'm like, wow, let's, let's, not, let's not be excessive. But at the same time, I think there, that it's really important that we're very discerning. If it doesn't agree with Scripture, dismiss it, discard it. Now, some of you are familiar with a book that John MacArthur published called Strange Fire. And he makes this passionate plea that... These sign gifts have ceased. And anything today, that's not from God. I disagree with him. I think he's gone too far. But I think his rationale is good, and that is because he sees so much nonsense out there. He sees wacky things happening. He sees false teachers like Benny Hinn out there and people being slain in the spirit, holy laughter, roaring like lions, chaotic expressions where everybody's blah, 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 jumping all over the place. We can say from the word of God, that's not from God, right? The Bible tells us if, if, if you're going to have tongues in your church, let there be two or three, one at a time, and there has to be an interpreter, and if not, be silent. So it's not this uncontrollable thing where everybody's praying in babbling tongues, and everybody's like, what's going on? But at the same time, I don't think we want to go to the other extreme of saying, that's all not for today. I think the Thessalonians were, were, were concerned that if you allow people to prophesy, they might be 
There might be confusion. So he, so he says, don't quench the spirit. Don't despise prophetic utterances. But he says, examine everything carefully. Anybody can claim God told them something, but they, they could be out to lunch. I've, I've rebuked people for, for, for walking up to someone and saying, God told me to say this to you. And they were absolutely wrong. Right? So, so we just want to be careful and go, we want to be discerning and, and try to follow the word of God. So, we're moving to the last thing here. So, it's hard to transition. You're like, well, I still have a question. Well, we can talk about it if you have more questions. But, so don't miss the big picture. What are gifts? All right, these are abilities, speaking, serving. All right, we talked about whether some are for today or not. But now we need to talk about this. How do I discover my gift and use it? So, number one, I would encourage you to study the gifts to learn what they are. So, you can go online and find a list of those gifts. Wayne Grudem has a, an excellent um, systematic theology. Charles Ryrie has one that sort of gives definitions of the gifts. So, you're like, if I'm going to discover my gift, I should learn a little more about it. Pastor Tom briefly went over them, but think about them. But then secondly, pray and ask, is, do you enjoy any of these things? When, when you heard about mercy, you're like, yeah, I do. I really have a desire to help hurting people. Or, hmm. Yeah, I, I, I love to encourage people. Ask yourself, has anyone ever affirmed any of these gifts? Like, hey, I think that you're really an encouragement or you're unusually generous or, wow, you have really strong faith, right? And then take a spiritual gift inventory. We used to have something like that in the back of our new members class um, in our book. We still have them available. If you want to get one, you can email the church, Pastor John, We'll help, but you can just go online. These aren't inspired by God, but they ask you questions like if you came into a room and, and there was two people crying, one over there, one over there, and one was an unbeliever and one was a believer, and you had to pick which one you would help. Some of you would go, in a heartbeat, I want to go to that unbeliever to lead him to Christ, while others would go, no, I want to go and help that Christian, okay? Well, one might be the gift of evangelism, one might be the gift of encouragement or exhortation, so I'd like to ask a question. How many of you would say, I think I might know at least one of my gifts? Just raise your hand. Just if you say, I think I might know one of my gifts. Okay. So with that in mind, I want to encourage you, if you're not sure, seek to practice the different gifts described and see how God may lead you. So you go, I don't know whether I have the gift of teaching. Well, get some training, which we'll provide, and then maybe try to teach a, a Bible study. Okay. Or if you say, I, I think I might have the gift of mercy. Well, try to find some ministry, like nursing home ministry, prison ministry, something where you can, you can begin to help out hurting people. Okay, so, so God's not playing Marco Polo trying to hide your gift from you. He wants you to discover it. So this morning, we, we've talked about spiritual gifts. Now, so what do we do, okay? How do I apply this in my own experience? Well, there's, there's a couple things that I want you to, to think about that are really important. Number one, first of all, we should thank God for the gifts of the Spirit. Thank Him for your gifts, even if you haven't discovered them yet, but thank Him for other people having gifts that bless you. When you get blessed by the Christians, that's really God. And some churches, God is extraordinarily kind to give them manifestations of gifts that are a blessing to the church. So Paul wrote to the Corinthians, I thank my God concerning you. Now, they had a lot of problems at Corinthian church, but one thing they didn't lack was giftedness. So he said in verse 5, I thank God that in everything you were enriched in speech and knowledge. 
so that you're not, verse 7, you're not lacking in any gift. We have lots of gifted people. Mindy, I think, has the gift of mercy. Jeremy has a real pastoral and shepherding gift. We have a lot of gifted people here who have speaking gifts, serving gifts, and it's a blessing. And, and so we should be grateful to God for the gifts of the Spirit. As a church, we're not just down here going, I got nothing. God doesn't need your ability, just availability, and then the Spirit works. We're not the first ones that praise God for the gifts of the Spirit. Martin Luther, many years ago, you've sung this hymn, A mighty fortress, as he fought against the powers that, that were in existence that were persecuting and killing Christians. He goes, that word above all earthly powers, no thanks to him abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through him who with us sighteth. So praise God this week for the gifts of the Spirit and your gifts and, and a gifted church. And then secondly, be praying to discover and develop and use your gift. Okay? For those of you who say, I don't know what my gift is. Devote yourself to, to, to thinking about that, praying about that, talking with others about that. And then for some of you, you're like, well, I used to... I used to I, Paul said to Timothy, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you, right? A gift can sort of go dormant if you're not using it. What are you passionate about? Paul says, stir up your gifts. And, and, and really, there's a broader context here, and that is, what are you doing for Jesus, right? At the end of the day, what are you doing for Jesus? How much of your time is spent doing something for the Lord? Oh, I'm too busy. No, oh, that's not going to cut it. Jesus is not going to say, hey, I understand. You're, you're an exception. You don't need to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding in the work of the Lord because you're too busy. Read the book of Revelation. Jesus rebukes several of the churches because they're lazy and they're dead and they're seeking their pleasure and they're lukewarm. And we all need to at times repent of that and say, Lord, I have not been engaged in serving. I have not been passionate. I have not been involved. And I need to change that. I need to repent this morning. But then also pray that the church will be edified through the gifts. That's what gifts do. They build up our church. We don't just want to fill seats. We want to see people come to Christ, become mature disciples. That's called edification. So Paul says to the Corinthians, since you're zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. I love having Benjamin here because I believe that the music ministry is very edifying because the words, you know, this morning I was singing, I cast my mind on Calvary, and Tammy goes, hey, we sing that at church. I go, yeah, that's why I learned it. Benjamin taught it to us, and now I, I sing that in my mind, and, I, and I'm trying to learn that because it's edifying, right? So imagine, this is crazy. People will say, I didn't get much out of church. In the early church, they gathered in homes, Right? And this is what it meant to get ready for church. So when you're out there honking for your spouse, stop getting ready for church. This was very different. This is how they got ready for church in the first century. What is the outcome, brothers? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. See, to get ready for church in the first century means you came with something to share. What? I thought I'd just put money in the plate and clap for the people up on the stage. No, no, no. So nobody would say, oh, I didn't get much out of it because the real question is, what would you bring, right? So a number of us pray before church in the morning and we say, God, make us a blessing to someone. Lead us to someone that we can edify. 
And so this is why we want to see, encourage you get into small groups where you can learn to share. Hey, this is what God's teaching me. I want to read a couple verses. It doesn't just have to be Benjamin reading. You can read to your group. You can share with your spouse. Hey, this is what God's teaching me. So pray that God will use the gifts to edify our church. Every small group, every Sunday school class, every time Christians gather, that the church might be built up through the gifts of the Spirit. And then finally, don't get too caught up with spiritual gifts that you miss the big picture. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to help people to grow. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, earnestly desire the gifts, but I'll show you a more excellent way. You're like, gee, I can't preach like Pastor Tom. Don't worry about that. Because frankly, Paul says, hey, Tom, if you spoke with the tongues of men and angels, but you don't love people, you're quite annoying. Did he just say that? Yeah. So people can be gifted speakers, but if you're not a loving person, you've already failed. So don't get too preoccupied with your gifts because we can all love people. So you say, well, what if I have the gift of prophecy? I, I went to Karen and I got a PhD. I know all the mysteries and knowledge of the Bible. It's nothing. Paul says, big deal. If you don't have love, it's nothing. I have a PhD. A public high school diploma. You don't need a PhD. You need to learn to let the Holy Spirit work through you to love people, right? Well, what if I have faith? I'm a man of God. It doesn't matter. If you don't have love, you're nothing. What if I give away all my stuff? I have the gift of giving. I give it all to Jesus. He goes, big deal. If you don't love people, it profits you nothing. But wait. Now Paul's going to say, now listen. Here's how to love people. This is the most important thing that Christ wants to do, is to love one another. This is what God wants you to do with your spouse. This is what God wants you to do with your kids. This is what God wants you to do with your enemies. This is what God wants you to do with your coworkers. Everybody can do this, and we all need to ramp it up. I need to tell myself, hey, Tom, most important thing is love, and love is patient. I don't have time for that. No, no, love is, love is kind. I got a lot on my mind. I don't have time to be kind. I got to get, no, you got time to be kind. Love isn't jealous. Love doesn't brag and isn't arrogant. Love doesn't act unbecomingly. Love doesn't seek its own, right? We'd have a lot less marriage counseling, right? If people would stop showing up going, I don't have a problem, fix so-and-so. Half the time it's just selfishness. It's pride. It's an unwillingness to say, I was wrong and I'm sorry because I wanted it to be about me and you weren't meeting my needs. Now, I'm not trying to oversimplify marital problems, but often relational problems are because of selfishness. James says, what's the cause of conflict? You want something and you can't have it, so you're angry. Love is not provoked. No, you don't understand, Pastor. They push my buttons. No, I do understand. That's how sinners work, and you push people's buttons. But if when people push your buttons, you get provoked, then you're not loving. You're like, yeah, well, they did a lot of things wrong to me. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffering. It doesn't keep this long list like an elephant. Well, you did this, and I'm going to make you pay, right? So praise God for the gifts of the Spirit. But more importantly, God's calling us to love one another. You say, I only see people for an hour on Sunday. Then you don't really love people if you never have any relationships with them. Imagine saying, I only see my wife once, once a week for an hour. You don't love someone if you don't, if you don't invest time with them. Yeah, but yeah, I have to understand, Pastor Tom, I'm busy. Yeah, I understand that. And love is like banking. You can't just make withdrawals. 
well, when I need something, you make deposits. And God is challenging us and asking us as a church to learn to love each other in tangible, growing ways. And as new people come in, that they'll find a, an accepting community, red and yellow, black and white, rich and poor. It doesn't matter what you look like. It doesn't matter your past. We want to love the Lord Jesus and manifest the gifts of the Spirit. Amen? So let's pray as we close. Father, thank you so much that as Martin Luther said, the spirit and the gifts are ours. And so I want to pray for Riverstone Church as the word of God goes forth through various means. May the church be edified. May the body of Christ continue to grow as the spirit works through one another. May every Christian discover, develop, and use their gifts. May you forgive us for our lukewarmness when we're not passionate. Raise up people who will work in the nursery, who will set up chairs. May people be beating the doors down with passion to do something for Christ. Send missionaries, raise up laborers. And Father, above all these things, forgive us when we're not loving. Help us not to worry about who's loving us, but rather who we can love because Jesus lives within us. We thank you for our time together and we ask that our lives will be changed by the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Be in prayer for the spirit of God to build up our church.